The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Luthier. It's our uh, Columbus Day Monday here in sunny New Hampshire. And we're really pleased to have as our guest today, Jeff Jay. Jeff is a certified addiction specialist a popular speaker, and a consultant. He's co-authored uh, the best-selling book, Love First, with his uh, sister Deborah, and he's also appeared on CNN, The Jane Polly Show, PBS, Forbes Online, and many professional journals. Jeff's a graduate of the University of Minnesota. He served as the president of the Terry McGovern Foundation in Washington, D.C., and a, as a trustee for several clinical and professional organizations. And today we're going to be talking about Jeff's latest book, which is called Navigating Grace. It's a solo voyage of survival and redemption. Jeff's been specializing in interventions since the early 90s, and he's going to talk about what family and friends need to know in order to help someone with an addiction problem, what additional steps family members can take after an intervention, and the role of belief in the treatment and recovery process. So, Jeff, it's really great to have you on the show today, and uh, thank you for, for being willing to take the time and share your experience with us. Thank you, Jonathan. I am delighted to be here. That's wonderful. So, um, you know, you've got a lot of experience and, and, and a real breadth to your um, you know, your work and personal uh, personal journey. And uh, you know, so we're really we're really grateful to be able to have you share some of your experience and stories with us. Um, and so, tell us a little bit about just you know what what got you here, what got you into this field, and um, how did we end up? Well, yeah, I, I am uh, an intervention story myself. I mean, you, you mentioned our uh, our best known book, uh, Love First, and actually, it's my wife uh, Deborah Jay and I wrote, uh, which is Hazelden's guidebook on intervention. And uh, so, I was an intervention story myself back in 1981 when I had gone from being a National Merit Scholar and president of my high school student association and looking very good on the outside to by the time I was 26 years old, I was homeless and penniless and sleeping under under bushes in the city parks out in California. And uh, so that intervention got me into treatment and ultimately into recovery. And after I'd been working uh, as a professional counselor for a number of years, uh, uh, I decided to start specializing in intervention. Deborah and I both did, and ultimately that led to the book Love First, which has uh, become uh, kind of the Bible on intervention, if you will, and has um, gone through two editions now and, uh, and, and many, many uh, copies. So uh, it's been a, a personal as well as a professional journey for me, and, and it's one of the reasons that I believe in intervention so much because intervention literally saved my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, <clears throat> um, so first of all, um, 
I'm, I'm very glad to hear that you received the intervention when you needed it because so many people who need it don't, aren't, aren't able to, to, uh, to access treatment and, um, you know, they're, the time slips away before they're able to, to really, you know, get a chance at recovery. So, um, you know, that's, that's an amazing story and, and really, um, you talk about navigating grace as the title for your book and, you know, certainly grace is something that, um, that comes into the picture, isn't it? Yes, and and that's my newest book, uh, Navigating Grace, and that's really uh, a memoir. It's uh, a spiritual memoir, if you will, that is uh, wrapped in an adventure story in a uh, uh, seven-day offshore sailing trip that I took uh, uh, 25 years ago where I was almost killed uh, at sea, and uh, I that story provides a dramatic backdrop for me to think back on my addiction, my recovery, my father's death, my brother's suicide, and and all the things that happen when uh, you get sober. Life doesn't continue to, uh, uh, well, rather I should say life does continue, and, and, and a lot of things can happen, not all of them good. And so one has to learn how to navigate grace through the good times and the bad, uh, and, and so that book is a departure from the clinical books that I've written in the past, and I have to say is proving to be, even though it's only been out about six weeks, uh, it's proving to be very popular with readers. Mm-hmm. Well, and you talk about the, you know, that um, sort of the spiritual basis of this, that it was really you know, a time of looking at uh, what was meaningful to you, what, what resources you had to rely on, and I wonder if you'd say a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, you know, when when my parents initially intervened on me and I got into treatment, I was a card-carrying atheist. I didn't believe in anything, and I'd been a philosophy major in college, and uh, frankly, I was really obnoxious. But as I went through the treatment process, I realized that the big I just wasn't going to be enough to carry me. And I came to the very stark realization that I was going to drink again. And I was probably going to die because I was a very low-bottom person, even though I was young. I had a bleeding colon, a bleeding ulcer, and transient neuropathy in the legs, and I just really couldn't function my alcoholism and drug addiction had become so severe, and so I was really brought to a moment of truth in treatment uh, very late one night where I really had to uh, cry out to that God I didn't think I believe in, and, uh, and through the white light experience that followed, really all of my recovery flowed out of that, and it's something that I talk about in some detail in in navigating grace, the life-changing moments that make all the difference in recovery, because it's not just a matter of somehow magically changing one's behavior, as important as that may be. Uh, You have to have a larger vision. You have Mm -hmm. to have something new to hang your hat on, because, of course, when you're drinking and drugging, you're betting everything every day on the immediate effect of the drug even as it takes you to the bottom. And so in recovery, we have to find something new that we can uh, hang our hats on, even if it's only one day at a time or one hour at a time. One hour at a time, as the the show is called. Right. Oh, did I lose you? Yes. 
So, so one really has to cultivate something new. And one thing that was interesting and that occurred to me while I was still in treatment is that I was really, after I had this little spiritual awakening, actually a big spiritual awakening, uh, I realized that as an active alcoholic and drug addict, I was already a pro at being one day at a time. Mm-hmm. When one is in the grip of active addiction, one doesn't worry about how you're going to get high on, let's say, Thursday when it's Monday. The only thing I'm worried about is how I'm going to do it today. And right. that's the same uh, thing in recovery. Uh, I can't stay sober for next Saturday, but I can do the things that I need to do today. I do my morning meditations. I go to my AA meeting. I call my sponsor. I do all the things that uh, keep me really in the program of recovery that uh, saves my life. Right. And you were really young when you, when all of this, you know, when you when you finally got to that point where, you know, things had yeah. gotten pretty difficult. I mean, that's yeah. That's really, I was 26 uh, years old, and I was shot physically. I mean, just completely shot, and I had determined really that the only way out was to kill myself. And uh, I wasn't telling anyone that because I was quite serious about it. Uh, And the intervention happened just in time to save my life. You know, we, um, at Westbridge, we work a lot with, uh, you know, folks who are in their early and mid-20s. And I think your experience is really similar for a lot of them, which is that, you know, they're, as a, time in their life when they're really sort of going, you know, I'm not sure if I really believe in anything bigger than me or right. anything bigger than this, this moment right now. And, and so, you know, it sounded like for you, it took getting to that point of, of realizing, uh, you know, somehow that, oh my gosh, you were, you were totally not in control of this situation. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And and it's true that you really do have to come to believe in something greater than yourself, even if it's just good orderly direction or the or the group of people in 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 AA or NA uh, or any of the twelve step groups that you might be uh, going to. It's important that we take ourselves as newly recovering people out of the position of being the doctor and the therapist, and really let people help us. Uh, let us be guided. Uh, I I know that if I was trying to learn something else that was new, for example, I was talking to someone the other day who's a very accomplished horsewoman, and I said, well, I don't know anything about horses. What if I decided that I wanted to learn how to ride, uh, but I didn't want to have any help? And she just started to laugh. She said, well, you've got to work with a trainer, or you'll probably hurt yourself. And the right. same is true in early recovery. We need to find the people that have made it. Uh, we find them in the 12-step groups. They've got the experience. And we need to follow the lead that they're going to give us because uh, otherwise we are, we are destined for a lot of pain and, and, and maybe hurting or even killing ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that message really, um, you know, really rings true for so many people that, Hey, you know, this isn't something you didn't get here alone, and you're and you're certainly not going to get out of here alone. Or maybe you did get here alone, and you, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, who knows? Uh, although, you know, although but, you're but right, a lot for the most part, we uh, we get wound up in in the use of alcohol and drugs because it's social. It's something mm-hmm. that we do with other people for the most part. Now we may come to a point in our addiction where we're using alone, and I certainly did. 
but uh, initially it starts as a social activity. Right, right. So, um, so you know, so from this point of really, um, you know, being, uh, you know, as you described it, you know, hitting bottom and really being in tough shape, you know, things opened uh, opened up for you. The light came on, um, and uh, and you found a way to get connected. And then, uh, you know, through your through your your experience, uh, you came to be able to start to help other people. Yes. And I do think that the one day at a time component is really important. And I don't mean to, you know, beat a dead horse with it, but the very prospect, especially as a young person, of not drinking anymore, not drugging anymore, is just too much to swallow. Yeah. Pardon the pun. And (laughs) we need to break it down into smaller pieces. I can't guarantee what I'm going to do next weekend, but I know today I can go to a meeting. Today I can work with a sponsor, maybe read some literature, give this thing everything I've got. And I found in my own experience, taking it one day at a time and really giving it the effort that it needed, I was able to get a week together and then two weeks and then two months and so on and so forth. But it was always just one day at a time. Right, right. And I think it's hard for young people, especially, you know, to really, like you said, uh, to think about things in terms of, uh, you know, wow, this has got to be forever if it's something they have to change. And, uh, you know, if it's something they enjoy, they, of course, they want to do it forever. But, you know, when it becomes something you have to change or, or feel like you have to give up, it seems like forever seems even just worse than forever. It seems like, you know, uh, wow, that's just... It's just totally a mountain. So, um, you know, we're we're going to go into commercial break here for for just a couple minutes. But uh, you know, um, it's been great, sort of in this uh, beginning, hearing a little bit about your story, Jeff. And uh, we're anxious to come back after the break and talk a little bit more about uh, you know what recovery is about and um, you know how we can help, uh, what, what family members can do to help uh, in terms of intervention. And then also, you know, later on in the show, uh, talk about you know, what, what happens after you've been in recovery for a while and how you deal with, with life and on life's terms and, and uh, love to hear your experience there in terms of your voyage and, and what you learned from that. So we'll t- we're going to cut good. the break here, and we'll be, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. 
This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruth here. It's October 12, 2015. Hope you are all enjoying a nice long weekend. And if you're in the New England area, uh, I hope you're enjoying the change of color. And uh, we're, Jeff and I were just talking offline about you know this this time of year. And he's in Michigan, and the, the leaves are changing there as well. So um, you know it's a great metaphor for us in the field to talk about change and to talk about renewal and um, you know to, but just to talk about you know what is it that that really um, uh, it creates change and that moment when somebody decides, okay, I'm going to be open to this now. Um, and one of the important aspects of uh, being open to change is having a support system around you that, that can help hold the mirror up or help, help you understand uh, how your situation may be impacting more than just yourself. And uh, so, Jeff, yeah. uh, uh, you know, in your work as an interventionist, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of times when you're really working closely with families to um, to help them be part of the change process. That's right. And there's a tremendous amount that families can do once they learn uh, the right things and the wrong things and really get a plan together. Uh, the book that my wife Deborah and I wrote, Love First, uh, that's Hazelden's guidebook on intervention. And as the title would suggest, we really do want to use the power of love and concern among the families and friends in a very specific and organized way so that we can help break through the natural denial and defenses of the addicted person and bring them to a moment of clarity, however brief, where they will accept the uh, treatment that's being offered. The most important thing for family members and friends is to take the time to prepare properly. Uh, the nightmare scenario for me is when I get a phone call on Friday afternoon at four o'clock, and the, and a family member is on the line saying, "Well, we've you know our brother Joe, we want to do an intervention tonight, and we we wanted to see if you had any tips for us." And right. I say, "Well, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I have one tip, and that is, don't do it, because <laughs> good." Right structured family intervention requires some time. It requires some planning, some preparation, 
you're actually going to write down what you're going to say in the intervention in the form of letters addressed to the addict. And they're really going to be more about love and concern than they are any kind of finger pointing. And, uh, and most importantly, they're going to end with a real solution. So we want to make sure that we've got the treatment lined up. We've got all our ducks in a row and uh, we're ready to take immediate action when that person says yes. So the most important thing for family members and friends, if they want to help someone who has an alcohol or drug problem, is to start learning uh, what to do. Uh, They can read Love First. If they go on our website, which is lovefirst.net, we have four and a half hours of uh, free video. We have 38 videos, and uh, they walk you through the intervention process. That's free. Um, or, or you can go and get Love First at any bookstore or on uh, Amazon. Uh, it's even available as an audio book. But uh, Love First is a very step-by-step guide on how you plan and carry out a good intervention, and it's important before anyone tries to do anything that they get some good, solid instruction uh, so that they don't make the kind of typical mistakes that people would make uh, if they if they didn't get uh, good instruction. Well, this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with, you know, what you were saying early in our earlier segment about, you know, learning to ride a horse, right? You don't want, yeah. you want to just uh, jump on the horse and then see if you can figure it out along the way. And, and so much <laughs> That's of, exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly, I mean, just think of how disastrous that would be if you didn't know how to ride and you just yeah. kind of jumped on a horse and, you know, tried to do it like uh, somebody in the movies. Yeah. Well, so much of what makes uh, an intervention and, and treatment successful is the preparation and really, you know, being at a point where you understand there's going to be ups and downs and, um, you know, you have to be able to be prepared for um, things changing and it's not always a linear process going from, uh, you know, having your life uh, being really disrupted because of your substance use or your mental illness and, uh, you know, being fully recovered. There's a lot of up and down with that. Absolutely. I I think like anything in life, uh, it's difficult and it's challenging. I mean, going through school, whether you're going through high school or going through college or or anything like that, there are always ups and downs. There are good times and bad times and uh, uh, some classes that are easy, some classes that are hard, and the same is true of recovery. There there are always going to be a lot of challenges, but that's true of anything in life that's worthwhile. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the, the, maybe the public's perception of interventions, um, you know, has, has that changed, do you think, because of more media attention to interventions or, or dramatization yeah. of interventions? And does that make it more, more difficult, less difficult, any, you know, any change in terms of how you approach the, the work with families? You know, it's good that intervention, just the concept of intervention is more widely known. Uh, what's not so good is that many times the media portrayal of what an intervention looks like hasn't always been the best. And in yeah. particular, it may give people the idea that they can do it quickly and without adequate preparation. Um, uh-huh. There are a lot of people... Uh, who call themselves interventionists who are out there uh, who don't really have any clinical experience whatsoever. They just 
uh, have their own recovery perhaps and have decided that they want to help people get into treatment. But if you're going to work with a professional interventionist, uh, you should make sure that they have a real clinical background. They've got a, a good clinical education. They've uh, worked in a treatment center as a therapist under supervision and, um, mm-hmm. and have the right kind of certifications uh, to make them worth hiring. Uh, so it's important to, to, it's like anything else in life, if you're going to hire a plumber, you want to make sure it's a, a real good plumber. Right. Right, and someone who's got backup, and someone who can, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, stand behind their work, and and get other clientele who are willing to vouch for them. And I think that's an important lesson for families, is because, you know, when you when you're at a point of saying, okay, this is, you know, this situation feels really intolerable or out of control, and, and we need help. You know, there's so many things going on emotionally for family members and for the individual who's got the the uh, the illness. That um, you know, sometimes decision making can get cloudy, and uh, or, yeah. or you know, decisions can be made impulsively that uh, you know later on feel like, oh, geez, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but you know, I really wish yeah. I had gone it, back it, and said, you know, what do I need to if know? If a family calls. You know, one of the big treatment centers like Hazelden or Betty Ford Center or something like that, they will typically give them the names and phone numbers of three different interventionists so you can kind of vet them on your own. And I think that that's a good policy rather than picking the first thing that comes up on your Google search or, uh, you know, just talking to your friend who may have done an intervention. You really want to investigate who you're going to work with if, in fact, you're going to work with a professional, which, which isn't actually always necessary. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what happens after the intervention? I mean, what should families expect uh, in terms of, you know, is that is that it when the person makes a decision to go into treatment? Uh, is their work done, or you know, uh, you know, what should families anticipate? There's much more they can do. What we really want to see families uh, get into is a very dynamic program of recovery themselves, going to Al-Anon or Naranon, which are the programs that are that are designed specifically for family members and friends. Uh, my wife, Deborah, has written a new book called It Takes a Family. And in that book, she lays out a whole year-long program, which she calls Structured Family Recovery. So It Takes a Family really uh, lays out uh, a whole year-long program that families can follow because at the end of the day, the the addict is going to go to treatment, but then they're coming home, and they mm-hmm. come home to families. So it's really important that the families are working uh, diligently the whole time that the person is in treatment. Now, they may be working uh, with a specialist in structured family recovery, or they may be reading the book, It Takes a Family, but it's really important that they um, not stop on the day of admission. They've got a lot of work to do to prepare for the alcoholic or addict coming back home. Right. Well, in the best case scenario, too, they're involved while the treatment is happening and, um, you know, that their the growth is, is, you know, occurring in the entire system that supports that individual and, um, you know, that uh, so, you know, change is happening not just in that, in that individual's world but also around them and, um, you know, because that's really what it takes to support recovery in the long run. Right. And, you know, every family, as soon as they get their loved one into treatment, they're immediately worried about relapse 
What are we going to do if she relapses? What are we going to do if he starts using drugs again? And yeah. that's another reason why they have to uh, begin working on their own dynamic program of recovery, uh, their own 12-step program, so that they will be prepared for any eventuality. They can really shut down the enabling system once and for all and develop strategies about what they would do in worst-case scenarios. And at the same time, they can build a foundation of recovery in the family so that the person coming out of treatment some weeks later really has a recovering home to come back to. Right. Right. Well, and that's really the key is, you know, being able to come home and, and you know, both, <clears throat> you know, spiritually as well as physically. And, um, you know, when we come back after our, our next break here, we're going to we're talk about uh, the journey itself and what it means to, to come home, but also, you know, how do you, how do you move ahead in life and, and deal with the ups and downs that come when you're newly sober or even when you've been in recovery for a while and, um, you know, the lessons that can be learned from, uh, from sort of from your experience in, uh, in your journey, uh, your voyage uh, across the sea mm-hmm. and, uh, and also just in, you know, your own recovery. So, uh, again, we'll be back here after a couple of minutes break and uh, we'll look forward to talking with you further. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. It's Jonathan Ruthie, your guest host today. And we're talking with Jeff Jay, who is a certified addiction specialist, consultant, interventionist, and author, among other things. And, uh, and Jeff, we're, we're really grateful that you're here with us today, and we've, we've talked a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the intervention process and, um, you know, what it's like for families and what, what to expect 
uh, you know, once somebody enters treatment. And, you know, I, um, I think what's really, uh, you know, what's really difficult sometimes for people to understand, and this happens a lot for families, is, you know, um, okay, the, the expectation is someone goes away to treatment and then they come back and they're better. And, um, you know, so it, it takes a while, right? It takes a while to get, get really a solid basis for recovery. And just, just not drinking or not using drugs is, is not, the, uh, not the sole uh, thing that has to happen in order for somebody to really uh, recover their life from addiction. That's right. In fact, uh, it's very common for families uh, to make the mistake of thinking that their loved one is going to get fixed in treatment. But in mm-hmm. fact, treatment is just a launching pad. It is just the beginning. Addiction is a chronic illness, and yeah. it requires ongoing work to keep that chronic illness in remission. And the person will certainly learn what they need to do when they're in treatment. But treatment is only the beginning, and now it's up to the patient, as it is with other chronic illnesses like heart disease and and diabetes. A person may be hospitalized as a result of these problems, but they go home and they need to change their diet and change their exercise and so forth. And uh, the very same is true with the person getting out of treatment for chemical dependency. They've got to change uh, lifestyle and start hanging with the people that have made it, which they'll find yeah. in the uh, and they'll find them in the twelve step groups. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is really um, important for people to understand is the the emotional side of of addiction, and um, you know, <clears throat> oftentimes when we're doing, you know, when we're assessing. Uh, we're taking a history, you know, of somebody's Ill- illness, uh, you know, their, in particular their their substance use. Then you ask the question, like, what was going on for you when, when uh, you know, when this experimentation started to become more of a habit? You know, what was going on in your life? And and so, you know, recovery really is kind of about like looking at that stuff and figuring out you know, how to move forward from it, right? Yes, there can be that aspect as well, uh, and certainly the addiction. Uh, really owns the rational brain. So a lot of times you can't beat it uh, really just on willpower or anything like that. And you've got to get down more into the emotional centers and the spiritual centers of the person to find uh, what's necessary uh, to maintain recovery long term. I think it's really important uh, for people to come to grips with what they believe in or don't believe in or uh, really haven't thought about very deeply and to, and to think more deeply about it because in many ways, successful recovery is about finding a deeper meaning in life than simply getting high. It's about right. finding a deeper meaning in relationships than just sitting around with people and drinking. So right. this is all part and parcel of long-term recovery. Right. Well, it's also, you know, it's, and I think inherent in that, it's also about learning how to, how to deal with reality sober mm-hmm. and how to deal with what, you know, the ups and downs and, um, you know, to, to, to kind of piggyback off your book title, you know, to deal with uh, the unstable waters uh, that, that come with being doubtful and being afraid and, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and unsure about whether or not they can trust this higher power thing that's you know, supposed to be guiding them, right? 
Right, right. And in, and in the, the, the book you're alluding to, Navigating Grace, I really tell the story, uh, although it's wrapped in a larger adventure story, but I do tell the story of my addiction and my recovery and navigating those early months and years of my recovery as a young man. I was only 26 when I came into treatment and, uh, and sobered up. So, what was important for me, among other things, were the wonderful people that I met uh, in the rooms, in the 12-step meetings. And I will introduce the reader to people like Jimmy C., who used to be a boxer in the Navy and was a, just an amazing person who instilled a tremendous amount of gratitude in me and, and helped me to appreciate things that I hadn't appreciated before. He was a, a very tough guy, uh, but had a heart of gold. Uh, Mary Butler uh, was a, a woman now deceased who suffered from multiple sclerosis and was easily the, the bravest person that I ever knew. She also had a tremendous joy, even with her debilitating illness, and in fact illnesses, and she was able to helped me to forget the petty problems that I had as a young man in his 20s and bring me to a larger perspective. So my point in bringing up people like Jimmy and Mary is that in recovery, many of the issues are not things that I'm just going to think through or talk through. I see the example of people who have gone before me and kind of drink in their wisdom by osmosis, if you will, because uh-huh. their personal stories um, and what they have gone through or are going through right before your eyes are the kinds of things that really hold you up when the going gets tough, when you go through the tough things in life. Uh, and I had a few of those. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, you're really talking about being able to identify with someone else, but also to be able to say, you know, I wonder if I've been spending too much time really just, you know, in my own head about this, you know, and it, right. there are other things yeah. that, that could have happened to me that didn't, and maybe it's time to look at what, you know, what I should be grateful for and, uh, you know, what grace has gotten me. Yes, you know, the uh, the space between my ears is definitely the most dangerous neighborhood I know. Uh, especially in early recovery. It's so much better for me uh, to get around other recovering people to talk about what's going on and to uh, learn what they have to offer because the truth is that God rarely works by lightning bolt. God normally works through people. And we may not have any idea what that word means or what a higher power means. We may not have any... uh, interest in uh, spiritual or religious things, and yet that is where a lot of the goodness and the mystery, frankly, flows out of that keeps us afloat one day at a time, and and months later we realize, geez, I haven't had a drink or a drug yet, something must be working. It's not me, it's not just them. What is this power that's working through people and helping me uh, to stay sober and discover a new and better life. It's really quite a journey. Yeah. So let's, let's you know, um, 
So let's shift gears a little bit in terms of the journey, and, and um, you know, I'm really interested to hear more about your your experience. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you came to a point in your life where you, a lot of things were going on. Um, mm-hmm. You were you had experienced some some uh, some deaths uh, in your family, people really close to you, um, having you know uh, challenges in terms of marriage, and you know, you decided to take this journey. You know, uh, yes. On the, yeah, I was, I was nine years sober at the time. I'd been working yeah. as an alcohol and drug counselor for four years, and yeah. a, a lot had happened, as you say. My my father had died an excruciating death. I was there holding his hand at the end. Uh, my baby brother had committed suicide, and my young marriage of that era in my life had broken up. And so I needed to change and I decided to and did sell everything that I owned and bought an old sailboat and headed for the Caribbean. I was going to <laughs> uh, uh, run a, a floating halfway house for chronic relapsers, but none of that happened uh, because I ended up uh, going offshore about 150 miles on my way south and ran into the teeth of a December gale, which just about killed me. Um, uh, the the boat really was lost for all intents and purposes. I'd lost my electricity, and so I had no no power, no navigation, no radio, no lights, no way to restart my auxiliary engine, and the boat was making explosive sounds as it broke up in the storm. Uh, but um, I did survive, quite obviously, but yeah. I had some kind of tremendous experiences out there, spiritual experiences on the boat, which I talk about in the book. Um, And I'll tell you, Jonathan, life looks very different uh, at the moment when you believe, uh, by the way things look, very obviously that you're going to die in the next hour or two. And I found that there were many things that I regretted, even in my recovery, uh, which really came to haunt me and brought me to a new level of, of kind of spiritual awakening, if you will, uh, that I don't know that I could have gotten to any other way. So it was a very powerful experience, and I've tried to to capture it in uh, Navigating Grace. Well, and there's there's so many parallels between, you know, the experience of being out and being adrift, even the decision to go Mm -hmm. alone. Yes. You know, the the feeling of powerlessness, losing, literally losing power, which, you know, on a boat, if you have no power, you are, you are not, you know, you're not in good shape. Right. um, But, but in life, when you realize that you have no power and you can turn things over, you know, that's a yeah. different outcome. Right? And, you know, it's funny that you that you mentioned that because I had a reader contact me just a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, Jeff, I think that everybody can identify with being on a sinking ship, and that had never occurred to me. She said, you know, I've just gone through a divorce and, you know, lost my, you know, livelihood and all these things. I had to move to a new city, and it felt a lot of times like I was on a sinking ship, so I could really identify with what you were talking about in the book, and uh, and that was actually a small revelation just to me. Right, right. Well, and I, and I think uh, you know the beauty of uh, of this story and the lesson that I think that it teaches, and we'll talk a little bit more about that is you know when we come back from our our next break. But you know, is that you know when you when you have faith and when you are you know are faced with really challenging circumstances. 
it doesn't have to be a knee-jerk response to return to drug and alcohol use. And, you know, you, yeah. you learn some things about yourself and your resiliency and your, and your, your recovery and your program that, um, yeah, that other people can really benefit from. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Great. So we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that, about your, your experience and, and what, uh, uh, you know, what others can learn from that uh, when we come back from the break here in just a couple of minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And welcome back, everybody. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, for One Hour at a Time. And we're talking with Jeff Jay, who's uh, the author of Navigating Grace, A Solo Voyage of Survival and Redemption. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the process of, uh, of intervention and recovery. And, you know, in our last segment, we were really talking about, uh, uh, you know, the, the experience of, uh, you know, even having been in recovery for a while, dealing with life on life's terms. And, uh, and sometimes that means really facing the most challenging reality of all, uh, that being, you know, life and death. And, uh, and after your experience uh, on your, um, on your sailing journey, you know, you, you learned a lot of lessons in a short period of time, or at least, you know, having been able to reflect back on it, you know, you can really see a lot of ties uh, that were helpful to you in terms of, you know, saying, you know, these are the things that are, that are realities for me and that are important to me in terms of, you know, my, my sobriety and my recovery. Yes, and you know, in that in those hours when I really thought I was going to die uh, way offshore on on what I thought was a sinking ship, as well as in the early days of my recovery when I didn't think I could really make it, um, 
having faith in that power greater than myself is what pulled me through, not by some kind of magic hocus-pocus, by, but by giving me just enough acceptance and just enough sense of, of, of faith in the process that I could hold on just a little longer in, the term, in terms of my recovery, uh, in, in getting to one more meeting, in, in doing the, the work necessary to, to maintain that sobriety, and, and on the boat, to just hold in there uh, in faith and not to lose it when uh, the, the whole boat seemed to be losing it. But there are, so there are a lot of parallels, but at the end of the day, it's, um, it was really kind of faith and per- perseverance that uh, got me through. Right. Well, you know, per, I, they really go hand in hand, right? I mean, if you if you have faith, you're you're more likely to persevere because you know there's something guiding you. Yes, and there is something uh, if we can be open to it. If we just approach the world with our rational minds alone, then we're going to be stymied in a lot of areas in our life. If we're relying on our rational minds alone, uh, our relationships will be shallow or maybe non-existent if you're just a robot. Uh, You know, our creativity will be uh, uh, kind of stumped. And certainly the venture into any kind of faith or belief uh, will quickly run aground. So I think we have to open ourselves up, uh, really have that open mind and open heart uh, where we can uh, hear the kind of uh, direction that we need to get uh, to keep it going a, a day at a time and an hour at a time. Right. And, you know, um, you know, this experience must have really driven that home for you, right? Because there, you know, you're, uh, you know, as with any experience where you're really um, facing adversity and facing challenge, you know, time time takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? It takes on an entirely different meaning. And, and what I found in those darkest hours is that I could not forgive myself for many of the things that I had done, and I was really racked with uh, regret and, and sorrow and, and a lot of anguish. And part of what was really revealed to me out there in the storm uh, helped to alleviate that. And I don't want to give away the book, but uh, I had an extremely powerful uh, spiritual experience that I hope will be helpful to other people as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, so many times... You know, I, and I've heard so many stories from folks that, you know, the, the the first part of their their journey in recovery was just about, you know, staying away from the drink. You know, the next part was about just sort of getting some of the pieces back into their life. And then the next part was about really understanding that deeper relationship, you know, with a higher power and, and um, you know, and moving ahead in spirituality. And, uh, uh, you know, is that... Is that Typical of what you uh, you know what you experienced yeah, in your work. In my case, I really had to get that spiritual piece almost first, almost right off the bat, because without that, I wouldn't have been able to stay sober. A lot of people say, and I think it's true, that the first three steps of the twelve-step program <clears throat> are almost like the three steps of a or. I'm sorry, three legs of a stool. They're kind of like the minimum number that you need in order to have a stable stool. 
And yeah. uh, in fact, there's an old little book called Stools and Bottles uh, that is very instructive on that point. Uh, so I think uh, for me, in order to stay quit long enough for the miracle to take hold, I had to have some semblance of faith in the people around me and in a power greater than myself, even though I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, I just went with it, and uh, it was better than betting my life on booze and drugs. I might as well bet it on something a little bit more powerful, and it worked. Right. Well, and how did that help you when you were, you know, again, when you were, um, you know, when you were really desperate? I mean, it, it, and I think that, because I think that would be a really helpful thing for other people to understand, especially if somebody who's, you know, newly sober or in early recovery and, and thinking, you know, what is this going to do for me? <clears throat> you know, it's, for the most part, it's not going to create any, you know, tremendous miracles and, the, you know, the waters aren't going to part. What I found is it gave me just enough oomph to get to the next meeting, to make the next phone call to another member of the program, uh, to drive by the liquor store, the dope house. It gave me just enough to to do what I really wanted to do, which was to stay clean at that time or what I hoped I wanted to do. And, um, and so it, it gives you that edge. It gives you that edge that allows you to succeed rather than fall back into your own ways because left to my own devices, left to my own rational mind and my own desire, uh, I would have gone back to drinking and drugging very quickly. My own right. rational mind did not have what it took to uh, get me through, so I needed the, the, the real edge and the real power uh, of something greater than myself. Right. right. Well, it's a great source of energy, inspiration, and like you said, you know, sometimes humility, you know, uh, you know to have that, uh, you know, to, to be strong in your faith and, and to know that, okay, this isn't just me and not me, the individual, you know, human here that's that's kind of pushing this thing along so um i think that's right really, yeah uh, in, in all the instances god definitely did for me what i couldn't do for myself that's for sure right right so um you know uh i, I want to thank you for uh you know for for sharing your experience through the book navigating grace and uh you know just wanted to ask you know, kind of what was that like for you putting this story together and um and then you know with that um because I don't, you know, we don't want to give away the ending, but uh, you know, how can people get a copy of it so that they can they can have that experience themselves? Yeah, it's it's really available wherever books are sold, or you can go on Amazon and uh, you know get an ebook version or um, or a physical copy. It's published by Hazelden. You can go on the Hazelden website or Barnes and Noble. <clears throat> you know, any of the places that you might get a book, and um, it's very very readily available. Yep. That's fantastic. Um, and well, you know, uh, again, the, the, uh, the, the title is... Been five years working on this book, which is really unusual. Normally, wow. it, it would be more like a year that you would work on a book, but this was a, a five-year project, so I really I, I put my heart and soul into it, that's for sure. Well, that's fantastic. And, and thank you for putting it out there, and uh, I hope some of our readers will be able to take advantage of the story and your experience. Um, Jeff, I really want to thank you again for coming on the show today, and uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in once again to One Hour at a Time. I hope you'll join us again next week at Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, 
that's uh, noontime on the West Coast, and uh, certainly you're, you can download uh, a podcast version of this show anytime from the Voice America website or, to, uh, or from www.westbridge.org. Again, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.